Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, so glad to be with you today. Um, again, my name is Gray, and if we haven't met yet, I'd love to meet you after the service. Um, and wanted to apologize about there not being any light in the hallway. It's kind of, uh, kind of dark back there. We're not trying to set a mood or anything. Um, we actually had electricians in this week, and we are uh, continuing in our ABLE project, which is our project to uh, rehabilitate this building that God has given to us. And uh, this week, we had a lot of electrical work done. We put recessed lighting everywhere. Outdoor lights are going in. It's pretty dark out here at night, uh, and so that's going to be great. And uh, we're, we're not sure exactly what didn't get reconnected, but there's no lights on some parts of that side of the building. So sorry about that, but it should be fixed uh, by next week. We're going to continue in our study of the book of Philippians uh, together. We're in the fourth chapter Really coming to a close here, a couple more weeks after this, and uh, we're starting here in chapter 4, verse 2 through 7 today, looking at Paul's instructions to a couple of women in the church and also to the church at large to be less anxious to the things that would disrupt their life with each other and with God. And so we're going to be looking at anxiety this morning, and I want to invite you to pray with me as we come to God's Word. Your word is a lamp, Father, to our feet, a light to our path. Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. And I pray, Father, as we take a few minutes to look deeply at these five verses that you've given to us, I pray that we wouldn't do so casually. But we would know that by the Spirit, you have spoken, you have revealed yourself, you have given us everything we need to follow after you with faithfulness. And so I pray that you would attend to us, that you would work in and through and among us, Lord, to make us obedient and to help us to delight in all of your truth. Particularly as we talk about anxiety today, Father, I pray that you would bring what your word promises here, this peace that passes understanding, that you would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And it's in that strong name of Christ that we pray. Amen. So it was about five or six years ago, um, my family went to the Grand Canyon. One and only time, been here for 10 years in Arizona. I only went once to the canyon. I've known some people who've lived their, their whole lives here and haven't ever gone. So we're a little better than that. But it is so close. It's right there. We had an amazing time. It was beautiful, et cetera, et cetera. It was grand. All the things that people say. But it was also anxiety-producing. Our kids at the time, we had three boys at the time. Now we have four. Uh, all of them were like five-ish and under. <laughs> so 
you realize as a parent is there are very few fences around the Grand Canyon. I mean, there, there's fences there when you drive up, right? The, the main kind of looking area. But if you spend any time kind of surround, in the surrounded area, you are going to be on constant watch if you have three toddlers walking around those areas. So much anxiety that we barely even saw the Grand Canyon ourselves, right? I mean, I remember looking down and being like, huh, nice, you know? And like, oh, and then, you know, it was just on to another child and keeping them away from the edge. So the anxiety blocked our enjoyment. And the anxiety blocked what we actually came there to do. We couldn't do what we wanted to do. We couldn't do what we had come there to do because anxiety blocked the good things that we were intended to do. It stood in the way. And this is what anxiety does, not just in tense situations like that, but just even the chronic anxiety that characterizes our culture, that characterizes many of our lives when we're anxious about things, what it actually does is it blocks the good things that are happening. We can't do what we should do, what we want to do. C.S. Lewis, um, in the Screwtape Letters, if you're familiar with that book, uh, it's an epistolary novel, meaning it's a, it's a group of letters written from one senior demon to a, to a junior demon, and, um, and he talks about this in, you know, it's a book about the human condition, but he, he highlights several things, a number of things that are important about anxiety, but this is one of them. He says this, he's writing again, he's a demon, so the enemy here is going to be God. And he says this, there is nothing like suspense or anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. He's saying against God. Barricading. <laughs> Blocking. There's nothing like anxiety to block our minds against God. He wants men, he, that is God, wants men to be concerned with what they do. Our business, that is the demon's business, is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. You see what he says? If we can just barricade the human's mind from God, what we'll do, anxiety works really well for that. We can barricade so that they can't focus on what God is calling them to do. Rather, we have them focus on what will happen or perhaps might happen to them. And that is exactly what anxiety does. That's exactly what happened to the Grand Canyon. We couldn't do the Grand Canyon. We couldn't experience it. We couldn't enjoy it because we were thinking about what might happen. Similarly, anxiety keeps us from doing a number of good, necessary, and important things like having a faithful life with God. Doing basic life stuff. Sometimes anxiety can block our ability to even just do the things that we need to do to live and survive. It blocks us from deeper relationships. This is what anxiety does. We want to talk about it from the Scriptures this morning, and I want to be clear that we're talking about the kind of anxiety that the Scripture talks about, which is within the realm of controllability. And I do recognize that there are health conditions and there are mental conditions and such that, that aggravate our anxiety or that put anxiety there that that we didn't have anything necessarily to do with other than to be born into a sinful and broken world. That is true. Hear me say this. I'm not here to beat up on anyone with, 
with a condition that, that causes this anxiety. Some anxiety is outside of our control, but all of us, the Scriptures are clear, have anxiety that's within our control. All of us have to deal with this anxiety. Otherwise, the Scriptures would be cruel when Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. Or when Paul says here, it says, do not be anxious about anything. He's talking about that there is a kind of anxiety that is sinful, that is, that is, in, that is giving in to, um, to the demonic, we might say, because of, the, of what C.S. Lewis said, right? That impulse towards blocking the good things while focusing on what might happen. There is a sinful impulse there. So, what I want to talk about is what do we do when we are anxious? And I mean that in particular because block, anxiety blocks doing. Doing things that are good. And so what do we do when we're anxious? And we'll look at three things from this passage. The first is to acknowledge anxiety. The first is to acknowledge anxiety. Paul is writing to an anxious situation in Philippians 4. Something has happened between two women in the church, Euodia and Syntyche, and, and it's disruptive. We, um, it, why else would, would Paul be writing about it if it wasn't affecting the whole church? If he, just, he didn't send a private letter to them, he included this in the book of Philippians. Obviously, the whole church is involved in some kind of way. It's some kind of split, some kind of division. And we don't know what it's about, but based on what, what Paul is saying about these women, it's probable that this is a good thing that they're arguing about. It's probable that it's a good thing. It's probable that it's about ministry in some kind of way. These would be new Christians, new women in the church who were excited about the mission of God. You'll remember that Lydia was at this church too. Lydia, the seller of purple dyes, who was converted with the Philippian jailer in that same time period with Paul when he was in Philippi. Lydia was part of this church. And so there was a strong community there. And Paul loves this community. And the things that he says about the women are that they worked with me side by side and their names are written in the book of life. I mean, he loves these women. There's not, they're not just catfighting. There's something good, but something divisive happening here. And it's blocking the doing. He uses the past tense. These women, they have labored with me side by side. Meaning, there's some kind of disruption to the labor now. There's some kind of block. And this is what anxiety does. This anxious church system. Notice that Paul hits this directly. He acknowledges that there's a problem. Anxiety in the home, anxiety in the church, anxiety in all of us as individuals is common. Okay? We're not going to be here today pretending like anxiety doesn't exist. The Bible talks about anxious people. Many of the most faithful people in the Scriptures are anxious at one time or another. And so Paul doesn't act like it isn't there. He's not here to say, just stop being anxious, you know, like that alien, terrible condition that nobody should ever do. He's saying, look, we need to acknowledge this. And in a way, sometimes when we do that, I think we, we talk to ourselves this way. We say, 
I just need to not be anxious. I just need to not be anxious. And we try to push down anxiety. It's kind of like the old classic example when somebody says, don't think about pink elephants, you know? And what is everybody doing, right? You are thinking of pink elephants right now. That's the suggestibility of our minds. And so we say, don't be anxious. It's like, oh, I'm anxious about not being anxious. You know, it's just, it happens automatically. So we acknowledge it. The other thing we need to see about acknowledging this anxiety is that it is relational in this case, and oftentimes anxiety is relational. We were worried about another relationship. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's in the church setting. Often, most often, our anxiety is related to a person. Even if it's about money or something like that, usually we're thinking, well, if I don't have the money, then I can't do whatever with my kids. And so it's, it's always almost relational. And the whole church is effective, affected. And Paul says to them, help each other with your anxiety. I mean, he's, he calls out one person in particular, verse 3, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me. Help these women. Who is true companion here? We have no idea. It actually can't be any of the, the usual suspects that Paul writes about, Epaphras, Barnabas, Silas, Timothy is with Paul, so it's not Timothy. Um, who is this person? True companion. Maybe that was their name. Maybe that's the Greek word, true companion. That was their name, some people have said. Probably not. Who is this person? We have no idea. I thought maybe at first it was Lydia. I mentioned she was part of this church, but it's actually in a masculine form, so it was a guy, some kind. We don't know who this is. Maybe Luke. It's possible. Or maybe it was just some anonymous leader in the Philippian church. Maybe Paul wanted to be anonymous with the guy because he wanted to be gracious to the guy who would be forever known for coming between two women of the church. Uh, maybe. That's just speculation. Point is this. The church is there to help us with our anxiety. That means each other. Helping each other with our anxiety. We are acknowledging each other's anxiety. Having anxiety doesn't mean, first of all, that you necessarily do not have faith. And I think sometimes we do this. We think, if I'm anxious, it means that I'm not trusting God. If I'm not trusting God, maybe I don't believe in God. Maybe I don't have faith. Am I even a Christian? It is possible, of course, not to completely trust in God. That is a possibility. But I want you to see what he says about these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the, my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul goes out of his way to say, these women and all these others who have labored with me, they are firm believers. And so we don't need to draw that conclusion. If you are overwhelmed, if you are anxious, if you're having relational difficulties, if something is severely blocking your relationship with the Lord, it doesn't mean that you're not written in the book of life. And I want you to know that there are true companions here. There are true companions in this church. We need each other. 
There are friends here. There are communities here. There are groups starting that you can go and be a part of where you can share things that are happening in your life. There are pastors. There are elders. There are deacons. There are true companions who are ready to acknowledge your anxiety if you're in this place of being anxious. And if we can't help your specific situation, we are about finding and funding help for you. So first, we acknowledge anxiety. Everyone has anxiety. Everyone has some form of chronic anxiety. So we acknowledge that. This is, this is the reality of being in a fallen world. However, we do need to take action. This is the second thing that we do when we're anxious. We do need to take action. Remember Wormwood, the senior demon's words to the young demon. He says, God wants them to focus on things to do, not on things that might happen. What are the things that we need to do? Part of the answer to anxiety is to doing some things anyway, despite our anxiety. Now again, I'm not, not, not acknowledging that anxiety exists. I'm not saying just stop it. I'm just saying while it's happening, we are called to certain forms of faithfulness. What are we talking about? Well, I think it's why Paul goes into verse 4 with just basic Christian piety, basic Christian life things. Verse 4, read it with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Joy, prayer, with thanksgiving. What do these themes remind you of? Well, it's basically 60%, 70% of the Psalms are about praying to God, joy in God, thanksgiving for what God has done. This is what it means to walk daily with God. And so I think what Paul is partially doing here is he's saying, look, life continues with God despite your anxious situation, Philippians. And despite the anxieties that are in this room, our life does need to continue. We need to take action towards a life with God. Two big categories here we could look at. First is open your heart to God. And second is open your hands to God. Open your heart to God. He says this command in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. In case you missed it, it's there twice, right? Two times, rejoice Rejoice. And in case you missed that verse in Philippians, the, the word for joy is used 16 times in the book of Philippians. And interestingly, half of the time, Paul is talking about his own joy. Exactly half of the time. Eight times he talks about his own joy. And eight times he talks about their joy and rejoicing. Paul's not asking them to do anything that he himself is not experiencing. And that is significant because do you think that Paul had reason for anxiety? We don't have to think about it. He tells us exactly that he did in 2 Corinthians 11. He's going through all the things that have happened to his life, how many times he's been beaten, how many times he's been shipwrecked and stoned. And then he says this in, in 2 Corinthians 11, on top of all that... <laughs> Top of all the times I've been beaten senseless, 
There's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety, same word, for the churches. Paul not only was physically endangered, but he walked around with the weight of all the churches he had planted and situations like this very one, Euodia and Syntyche who were fighting. He's thinking about that. He's anxious about the churches. But he's joyful. Paul is saying that though I have seemingly always reason for anxiety, I, o- I almost always have, I do always have, also reason for joy. They coexist. And so he didn't let his anxiety block the joy. He was joyful and he was anxious and he was a mixed bundle. But he pursued joy. And it doesn't mean that he didn't struggle with that, of course. Obviously, he did. But he, he made it his endeavor to rejoice in every circumstance. And you can sense as you read his letters, at times Paul may be a little grumpy or discouraged, right? You can tell that, but most of the time you can sense this, this unimaginable weight of just joy that he has in the Lord. Even though he had reason to be anxious. So regardless of your anxiety level, Scripture does call you to pursue joy. They can be experienced at the same time. And in fact, he says that that joy that we have should should spill outwards, where he says in verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now that word reasonableness there don't particularly prefer. Actually, the best English word for it, which is kind of a big word, but... um, probably captures it the best, is magnanimity. I don't know if you've heard that word before. When somebody is magnanimous, it means that they, are, they have a generous spirit. They have a joyful generosity to them. That's actually the word that he uses here. Let that generosity of spirit, that big-heartedness, that you feel rejoicing in the Lord yourself, let it be known to those who are around you. Let it spill out to everyone. And so what he's saying here is, look, the joy that's inside your heart, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Let it flow out. Let that generosity and big-heartedness flow out. Now, this is hard to do when you're anxious. When we're anxious, our tendency is to close off. Our tendency is to focus not on joy, but what on what might happen. And our tendency is also not to be generous with others, but to be like, this is, this is me time, me mode, because i got to figure this out. And once I figure that out, then I'll share myself, my life, my resources, whatever it is. Anxiety can and does make us selfish toward other people. But this is the part where the action is needed. We may be experiencing anxiety. We acknowledge that. But in the midst of your anxiety, are you also pursuing a big, wholehearted life with God? Rejoicing in Him and letting that generosity of spirit be shown to the world. And the perspective, the kind of grounding that He gives is, look, the Lord is at hand. That's what He says next. The Lord is at hand, meaning 
The end is near. God will return. The Lord's coming, in other words, is at hand. Now that's a huge topic to talk about what those in the New Testament believed about the coming of the Lord and whether they were accurate. I think they were. What's going on here? But the point is this. When it comes to anxiety, whatever anxieties you have, you need to recognize in a short time, you will either die or the Lord will return. <laughs> okay? The Lord is at hand for you or He's at hand for the whole world, in other words. Okay? It's perspective giving, isn't it? If you collapse history on itself, this is, of course, the blink of an eye. It is a flashpoint in history. Life is short. Christ is coming. It's been 2,000 years. Yes, but what is that in view of eternity, in view of our whole life with God that goes on forever? You've got to maintain that perspective if you want to overcome anxiety. If you want to answer it with joy and big-heartedness, you've got to say, look, the Lord's at hand. <laughs> Whatever I'm worried about will soon be over it, with any kind of historical or, or eternal sense. It will be over. So, open your heart to God. That is, rejoice in Him and then let your big-heartedness be shown to others. Secondly, open your hands to God. This is another action step. It is prayer. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The immediate answer to anxiety is prayer. It's just right there. So the contrast couldn't be clearer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray. It's amazing, isn't it, how often prayer is our last resort when it should be immediate. We even say it sometimes. We're like, well, I guess all we can do now is pray. <laughs> We've exhausted all the other options, and I guess God needs to be involved at this point. It's immediate. It's right there. There's, it's not a shaming thing. It's a, it's a beautiful invitation, isn't it? Do not be anxious about anything. Rather, you have an immediate way to translate that into prayer. Sharing it with God. Which He is happy to receive, not reluctant to. 1 Peter 1.5 says, Cast your cares on Him, for He cares for you. He wants you to do that. He wants you to unburden yourself. And so the first response to anxiety should always be prayer, supplication, Praising God, asking for things with thanksgiving. Right? This, this is what prayer is. It's made up of these things. It's the, it's the praise of God. It's also the supplication. That's the asking for things with thanksgiving, recognizing that He gives us all good things and that He may not have the things that we think we need for us right now. With that sense of thanksgiving, all that I have comes from you. How do we do this? How do we pray immediately? Well, I said you can do it. You can do it verbally. You can do it mentally, immediately. If you have a big anxiety or if there are multiple things that you're anxious about right now, I find that written, journaling, prayer 
works best. I do this all the time. If you're twisted up in knots, it's your relationships, it's your children, it's your work, it's money, it's your sense of life purpose, whatever is making you anxious. And the complicated feelings are tearing you up, they're swirling around, and you feel like you don't have a sense of direction. There is nothing like writing it all out in prayer to God. There's something about seeing it on the paper, uh, putting it in the right size. You see themes. You, it's easier to see how God might, might be doing something in the moment when you see, well, there's, all three of these things are kind of similar. <laughs> so that must mean that God is leading me through a season of, of this. And it's just, it's just an awareness and sometimes we don't know it, and so writing it down really helps. Just pour it all out there. Don't self-edit. <laughs> this is God and His heart, and He knows your heart anyway. What He desires for you is, from you is honesty. He gives grace to the humble. Just tell, your, tell what it's like. How often do we don't do that? We don't go first to God himself. We stress, we think, we plan, we might even call a friend before we cast it on the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Before we offer it up to the God of the universe, the the bearer of the cross, the one who brings us to the finish line, the one who knows us better than anyone else. What can you bring to him? Everything, it says, in everything with prayer and supplication. Literally everything. There have been seasons, times in my life where it's like the prayer is, I don't know how to pray right now. And I'm just literally saying those words. I don't know what to say to you, but I'm saying something to you by saying, I don't know what to say to you, (laughs) right? That is prayer. It can be raw, unformed. The point overall is this. We acknowledge our anxiety. We don't allow anxiety to stop us from doing things. There are faithful things that we are called to do in the midst of anxiety. And they help. Acknowledging anxiety helps. Working the muscles of rejoicing even in hard circumstances. Being big hearted towards others. All that helps to put things into perspective. But those do not solve anxiety. doesn't fix anxiety because there's still things you don't know and there are still things that might happen to you that you don't know might happen to you and it's still a broken and sinful fallen world that we live in and so accidents seemingly happen to us as well as long as there's sin and suffering in the world there will be anxiety But is there a fix? Is there a healing for anxiety? The answer is yes. Look at verse 7 with me. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's one for memorization right there. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
There is a limit to what you can understand, fix, address, even rejoice in. There's a limit to how much you can move towards personal peace. But where your limitations stop, God is infinitely abundant. So surpassing your understanding, surpassing your schemes and even your obedience, God is able to give you peace. And you don't understand it, and I don't understand it, and we can't map it out, and we can't do ten steps towards it. But there is a peace in the Lord. As long as there's sin and suffering in the world, there will be anxiety. But as long as the Lord is here, there will also be a growing sense of peace. And when God is, is in all, and the knowledge of God covers the world like the waters cover the sea, and when the new heavens and the new earth come, there will be no anxiety because God will be in everything. So here's the last step. Root yourself deeper in the Lord. There are no quick fixes to, a, to solving anxiety. But I want you to see that there is ways that you can heal anxiety. And it is by rooting yourself deeper in the Lord. You see how the passage ends? will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That phrase, in Christ Jesus, sounds a little familiar. Oh yeah, because it's in verse 4 as well. Rejoice in the Lord. That sounds familiar. That's right, because it's in verse 2 as well. Agree in the Lord. Paul says, in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord. The Lord here is the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is Paul so concerned that everything we do in these anxious situations be in the Lord? Because in the Lord Jesus Christ is where anxiety goes to die. The Bible says that Jesus himself is our peace. He is our peace. There's two ways that we experience reality. We are united with Him. We are in the world. We are with Him. We are, we're with the world. We're in the anxieties of this present age, but we're also secure in Him. And those two things in this sinful and broken world battle against each other. We have these kind of split perspectives. I know I should be at peace. I know I'm well guarded. I know that God loves me. I know that it's all going to work out, but then I'm also experiencing this world all the time. But there is coming a day when those two things will be one. And everything that we experience and know will be in the Lord. And in the Lord Jesus is where anxiety comes to die. Because he accomplished peace for us. He secured peace through the blood of the cross. He brought us back to God. The anxiety that we feel is that that sinful presence in ourselves and in the world that has alienated us from God so that we, we are worried about what might happen to us. But if we know more and more that what's going to happen to us is that we're going to be in Christ forever, then we, we slowly become less anxious. We slowly become less attached to this side of the equation where we're worried about all these things. 
We trust in God increasingly. You are more guarded than you realize. Your heart and your mind is guarded. Now, that's an image that the Philippian church could understand. The picture is of a, an occupation, a guard. Philippi was an occupied city. It was a Roman province. And it wasn't a negative thing. This was a good thing for Philippi. It secured them. They had trade. They became part of the Roman Empire. They had protection. And so the Philippians understood this when they looked at the Roman occupation that this protected and prospered their city. They're one of the few city-states that got that kind of protection. There's a stability and peace there. And so what Paul is saying using this image is Jesus Christ should be the occupying force in your heart and your mind. Like your city is well guarded and well protected and secure and prosperous. That is what Christ is. He will guard your heart and your mind. He is your fortress. And if you're in Him, you have all of His benefits. And one of those benefits is a peace. The knowledge that you are guarded no matter what. So what should you do? You should do whatever roots you deeper into the Lord Jesus Christ. You should study Him. You should cherish Him. You should delight Him. You should pray to Him. You should spend time with Him. You should be silent with Him. You should follow Him. Meditate on Him. Reflect on the good news. The more you root yourself in Christ the more your anxiety will fade. It's not a quick fix. It's not like three steps. It's just this growing sense that there is this peace that passes understanding and I am guarded. And the more you see that, the more your anxieties begin to fade. The volume turns down. It's not so much present in your mind that what might happen because you know what will happen. That Christ will return and will restore everything. Back to what, the way it will be. The Lord is at hand. The way it should be. As I close, I'll just read Isaiah 26, another one to memorize. And we'll just meditate on this. And I'll pray after reading this. This is what Isaiah says. You keep him, that is God keeps the person in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts you, Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Let's pray.